chapter 4, verse 7. As I mentioned, we're going to take a break from our Mark sermon series to do about a 10-week sermon series on the biblical commitments in our church covenant. Uh, God wants every Christian to be a part of a local church congregation where he or she can live out uh, just several biblical commands and principles. And when people become uh, members of our church here at Beaumont Baptist, they commit to pursuing the biblical ideals of our church covenant with us. Uh, By the way, if you're not a member here at Beaumont Baptist Church, please don't check out here. Uh, These are God's commands for all of God's people and, and local churches all around the world. While our statement of faith states what we believe, our covenant states how we will live. How will we live out the Christian life individually and together as a church? And based, uh, both of those documents, our statement of faith and our covenant, are both based on the authority of God's word. And so uh, really here at our church, what we want to do is we want for God's word and the gospel to shape and define uh, the way that we live out our individual lives and the way that we do life together as a body, as a church family. And the degree to which that happens is really the degree to which uh, we have a Bible-based or a gospel-driven culture here at our church. Every local church has a culture. Some of you have been a part of other churches. The churches that you were a part of had a culture. Uh, our church has a culture. Every church has a church culture. And on the one end of the spectrum, uh, some churches have really what we might call a relatively unhealthy culture because God's word is not being prized. It's not being uh, valued. It's not being lived out by the body. On the other end of the spectrum, some churches have a vibrant, healthy church culture of life, growth, and vitality because God's word is shaping the lives of the people there. People who aren't perfect, people who struggle, people who sin, but people who are committed to God's word and who are trying to live out what God has called them to do in the body. And so I think we should ask, well, what about us? Where are we? What is our church culture like? And to what degree is that culture being shaped by God, his word, and the gospel? Wouldn't it be awesome if here at Beaumont Baptist Church, our our culture was much like the culture of a greenhouse, where things within that culture uh, grew and thrived in incredible ways. I think that's certainly the desire and the hope. God's plan for the local church is awesome. And when God's plan shapes and defines the culture of a local church, it's incredible. And God is glorified, and that's what we want. Consequently, our elders believe that it would be extremely hard for us to overemphasize the biblical commitments of our covenant. In fact, I think, to be honest, our concern would be that we don't emphasize them enough. They are so important. And our prayer is that we will all, as we go through this sermon series, as we walk through it, that that we will walk away uh, with a greater commitment to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and a better commitment to his plan, his biblical plan for us together, for life in the body. By the way, covenant is no small word. In an age where church life is often driven by consumerism, uh, asking, hey, what can church do for me? And an easy come, easy go mentality. It's just so easy to water down Christ's plan for his church. And God's people end up with a church light mentality that translates into anemic, weak churches. And that's not what God wants. 
God's plan for the local church involves significant commitments, and many of those are found in our church covenant. Uh, we're going to pass over the first one for now, uh, given it, it, it's more uh, uh, stated in a very umbrella uh, way, a really big idea there in the first one. And we're going to start today with commitment number two and commitment number three, which read as follows. I will pursue a life of holiness, yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit. And commitment number three is one of the ways that we actually go about that pursuit. It reads, I will regularly meditate upon scripture and pray. Uh, Taken together, these are statements about pursuing godliness with the Holy Spirit's help through the exercise of what we might call spiritual disciplines. When I use that phrase, spiritual disciplines, I'm referring to things like uh, various forms of Bible intake, reading the Bible, listening to it, uh, memorizing it, trying to commit it to our hearts, uh, meditating on it, chewing on it, uh, praying, and so on. Spiritual disciplines. God wants you to pursue a life of holiness through His Holy Spirit. We're going to work through five simple realities about that pursuit uh, here today. And in fact, as we go through each of these sermons, they're all going to follow this same outline. Five simple realities about this pursuit, the pursuit of holiness. First of all, it is a biblical pursuit. Uh, One of the things I want to do is demonstrate that the statements of our church covenant are coming from Scripture. I'm not standing up here to preach our covenant. That would be weird and kind of cultish, I think. Um, That's not what we're here to do. What I want to do is show you that these statements are coming directly from Scripture, either as direct quotations or summary ideas of biblical truth. Our covenant reads, I will pursue a life of holiness. Is that a biblical pursuit? Yes, absolutely. 1 Peter 1, 15-16 says, But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since or because it is written way, way back in the Old Testament, God said, you shall be holy because I am holy. It's interesting, though, our covenant uses the language of pursuing that, pursuing holiness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 tells us to strive for, or as the New King James and a couple other translations word it, pursue Peace with everyone, but not just peace. Strive or pursue for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. A specific command for us to pursue holiness. Christians who by virtue of the new birth and being uh, born again, as the Bible talks about, end up being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. The Holy Spirit. And consequently, by virtue of that fact, we become people who pursue holiness. Those of us who have the Holy Spirit are people who pursue holiness because the Holy Spirit leads Christians towards holiness. I'm talking about holiness. What is it? It's basically stated, it's the idea of of being set apart. Uh, Holiness is being set apart from sin and then being set apart to God. Christian, if you you are a Christian, you are actually declared holy in Christ. You know that the Bible refers to you as a saint? That word saint means holy one. Uh, Christians are referred to as saints or holy ones. uh, I think there are a lot of days where we don't feel so holy. We don't live in a super holy way, in a way that's separate from sin. Often we're embracing our sin. 
And yet God, because of what he's done for us in Christ, calls us saints or holy, holy ones. And what God wants us to do is to live out who we are, who he has made us in our everyday life and practice. God wants you to pursue a life of holiness, which is done by engaging in spiritual exercise and reliance upon God's grace and in reliance upon his Holy Spirit. So how do you become holy? Or maybe if I were to word that a little bit more generically, how do you become godly? How do you, how do you start to look more like Jesus in your everyday life? Well, the Bible teaches that you train yourself for that, actually. Or I might word it this way, you exercise towards that goal. Commitment number three of our covenant gets at some of the needed exercises or spiritual disciplines that God uses in our lives to cultivate holiness. Our covenant says, I will regularly meditate upon scripture and pray. I'm going to fill my mind with God's truth and I'm going to pray and I'm going to seek his help. I would like to exposit and explain a single phrase of scripture this morning from the end of 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 7, and it's really related here to commitment number 2 and 3 that we see in our covenant. Paul says to Timothy, the very last phrase of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he, he instructs Timothy. Paul is uh, mentoring Timothy, a young pastor, and he says to Timothy, train yourself for godliness. And God is taking up here the metaphor, the picture, the image of athletics and exercise and uh, training and discipline. And so I'm going to highlight five things from this little forward phrase. First of all, spiritual exercise is commanded by God. Paul tells Timothy, train yourself for godliness. That is a command, not a suggestion. You want to know what God's will is for your life. You may agonize over it in, in lots of different ways, but here's something that's really clear. God wants you to train yourself for godliness. God puts that command as well in the present tense. Be training yourself for godliness, conveying the ongoing, recurring, repetitive nature of your responsibility to do that very thing. What God is commanding, we might think of as something that is routine, repetitive, and ongoing spiritual exercise. Uh, think about physical exercise routines for a moment. Suppose that you decide that you want to run a marathon six months from now. So you've got some work to do. If you get up tomorrow morning and you run a 3K, it was really great, went really well, and then you don't run again for another six weeks, how much progress did you make actually towards your marathon goal? I mean, running 3K, that's awesome. I mean, you probably burned a few hundred calories. You feel a little bit better. You're more alert. You're more awake. That's all awesome. But in terms of your goal to run a marathon, how much, how much progress did you really make? Well, the fact is you may not be much further than if you hadn't run at all when you think about that goal. If you are going to run that marathon, you are going to have to establish some kind of exercise routine. A routine that has you running habitually probably uh, three to four times a week. Ongoing, recurring, repetitive. That's the kind of exercise that God not suggests but commands for us. Train yourself. Be training yourself for godliness. Uh, second thing I'd like to highlight from that phrase is that spiritual exercise is hard work. Train yourself for godliness, God says. 
it's the Greek word gymnazo, from which we get our English word gymnasium. Uh, it's derived from that word. They're not equivalents or anything like that, but you just have an English word coming from that word, and there's a reason for that. Uh, if you get a gym membership, what do you go to the gym to do? You go to the gym to sit down with your friends, and you're going to eat chips and cookies and donuts and be like, hey, I went to the gym. Great day. Solid. I'm going to go home now. Uh, probably not. You go to the gym to exercise or to use one of our, our ways of wording it. We go to the gym, we say, to work out. Big picture, this word train conveys effort, exertion, and discipline. Uh, One person observed that it is a sweaty word with the smell of the gym to it. Spiritual exercise is often hard work. Nobody ever said that reading your Bible, that studying it, trying to memorize it and meditate on it and call it back to mind, uh, those sorts of things, and praying, and any other of the uh, spiritual disciplines, nobody ever said that those things would be easy. And in fact, I think that many of them, myself included, find that oftentimes they are quite challenging. And they feel like work, and it feels like you're really having to, to put work in to concentrate and set time aside and do this and that. It, train, Paul says, for this. Spiritual exercise is hard work. It's rewarding, though. Sometimes these disciplines feel easy and other times not so much. I think sometimes we don't really want to slow down or we don't really want to be inconvenienced in our daily life. We just want everything to fit neat and tidy and we just want it all to be really nice and all that. And we we want to put in minimal effort. You know, maybe I'll listen to a few verses on my drive to work or something like that. And we want to put in the minimal effort and think that we're going to wake up looking like Superman with our spiritual muscles bulging and be strong and very much like Jesus with minimal effort put in. Spiritual exercise is hard work, the Bible says. Another highlight from this verse is that spiritual exercise is not something that others can do for you. God commands you to train, and then notice this next word, train yourself for godliness. By including the word yourself there, God makes it clear that no one can spiritually exercise for you on your behalf or in your place. Uh, You can exercise together. You could find another Christian and uh, another friend or family member and you can go down this road together. You can go to the gym together, so to speak. But no one can exercise in your place. In other words, you have to put the time in. No one can do this for you. Let's go back to the realm of physical exercise. Let's say that I am unhealthy, I am out of shape, I am weak, I am overweight, and I, man, something's got to give here. Like, i got to start exercising. And I talk to you about that, and you go, you know what, Pastor Nate, I really love you, and I actually have a lot of time on my hands right now, and I really like to exercise. I'll do that for you. You know what, I'll, I'll get up at 6 a.m. and I'll do that. Well, you can't go out and, and walk for me. You can't go to the gym and exercise in my place. You can't eat a balanced, nutritious meal for me while I'm sitting there eating pizza, burgers, and fries. I mean, that's just not how it works. When you do those things, I don't become healthier, stronger, and skinnier. You do. Spiritual exercise is no different. No one can do this for you. God will give you his grace, but there is no other person who can spiritually exercise in your stead. 
You know, having godly parents, having a godly spouse, or having godly friends, those things don't actually make you godly. Having a great church and showing up at it is extremely important. But God expects it to go further than that. God says, train yourself for godliness. You have to put the time in. Fourth highlight about that phrase, spiritual exercise is purposeful and goal-oriented. What is the purpose or goal of spiritual exercise? Why would we do this? And this phrase tells us godliness. The ESV says train yourself for godliness. Uh, Notice that little word for in there. You're training for something. And I think this is something we understand. If you're a runner, you might train for a race. Uh, If you're an athlete, you might uh, train for the game or for the competition or whatever it is that you are going to be taking part of. Well, in this case, what is it that we are training for? Godliness. That's the goal. Uh, You might enjoy hearing this phrase that we're looking at in a few different translations. Uh, The King James words it this way, exercise thyself unto or, or toward godliness. The New American Standard Bible reads, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The NIV, train yourself to be godly. And the New King James, exercise yourself toward godliness. All of those translations are are highlighting the purpose of this training. It's godliness. Would you like to be godlier than you are right now? Would you like to look a little bit more like Jesus than you do right now? How would last week, just go through a a mental exercise with me. How would last week have been different if you were godlier? I mean, I look at my last week, and if I just look back over the last seven days, there was an immense amount of room for greater godliness. And I see that as I look at at my thoughts and everything that swirled through my mind last week. I see that as I look at my, my heart and my motives, and the things swirling around in there. I see it in my words. I see it in my actions. I see it in my interactions with other people. I see it in the decisions that I made. I see it in my marriage. My marriage would be way better than it is if I was more godly. I think my marriage is great. I love it. But it could be better, right? My parenting, my pastoring, my work. I had to confess and repent of several things this last week, the last seven days. I need to grow in godliness. And I think if you look back at the last seven days, and I asked, what about you? I think if you're being honest, you'd be like, yeah, me too. (laughs) There's some sin in there. Wasn't exactly set apart from that. Imagine how great it would be if you were holier and godly this coming week than you were last week, and a little bit godlier yet the week after that. Godliness is the goal of spiritual exercise. A fifth highlight from that phrase, spiritual exercise is essential for growth and godliness. Let's ask this question. Is there like actually maybe another way to grow in godliness? Is there another road? Is there another path to become more like Jesus? Are there any shortcuts? And the answer is no. 
I mean, God's going to give you opportunity to know him better through the experiences of life. We see that in the book of Exodus. God's bringing all these experiences into people's lives, and you have this recurring phrase that you might know that I am God. But, but when it comes to what's within your power and your pursuit of holiness, this is the road. 1 Timothy 4 verse 7 points you to the road that leads to godliness. And it's the road named spiritual exercise or discipline. I want you to listen carefully to this quotation. Well, we cannot be godly without the practice of the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines. We can practice the disciplines without being godly. If we see them as ends and not means. Think about this. You can spiritually exercise and fill your brain with Bible knowledge. I mean, you can spend all kinds of time reading and studying this book. I mean, it's like you're exercising a spiritual discipline. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you are becoming more like Jesus. You may have just filled your brain with knowledge about the Bible. That doesn't necessarily mean you're any godlier. That is far different than something like this. God... I want to be godly. I want to look more like Jesus, your son. And so I'm going to go to the spiritual gym with your help. And God, I need it. Please give me your help. And I'm going to open up your word and I'm going to read it. And I'm going to try to chew on it and process it and digest it. And and I'm going to pray. Will you please make me more like Jesus? I need that. I want to train and run towards you. Can I ask you who is the godliest person you know? Uh, Maybe it's somebody here in this room. Uh, Maybe a few people come to mind. Maybe it's somebody who has uh, gone to heaven already. But somebody that you respect spiritually for their walk with God and their spiritual maturity. How do you suppose that that person got there to, to that degree, if I could word it, of godliness? What was the route taken in their life towards godliness? Do you think they got there without substantial amounts of training time with their Bible, without actually a lot of time with their their nose in this book, just reading it, studying it, trying to understand it, meditating on it, thinking about it? And time in communion and fellowship and prayer with the Lord? Based on the verse that we're looking at, that's the route that's taken actually every single time. Or when you see, if we were to think about a a brand new Christian, a young Christian, and you see them just sprout up and grow like a weed and just flourish. It's often because they're just guzzling God's word, drinking it down. The Holy Spirit, through God's holy word, makes God's people holy. God wants you to pursue a life of holiness. So, Thus far, we've just worked through the very first part of our outline. We wanted to spend the most time there. But it is this, that God wants you to pursue a life of holiness, and that is a biblical pursuit. A second simple reality about this pursuit is that it is a threatened pursuit. You realize that you will not drift into holiness? If anything, you, you will probably drift away from living a holy life. Your pursuit of holiness is a threatened pursuit, and we see it threatened all throughout the Bible, uh, over and over again. I can give you an Old Testament example. 
Uh, in fact, it's really the, the Old Testament as a whole and the children of Israel. God set apart for himself. By the way, that's our language of holiness. God set apart for himself a people, his holy people, the Israelites. And throughout the Old Testament, God's holy people uh, perpetually strayed away from God's holy law and ended up living really no different than the nations all around them. One of the saddest phrases in the Old Testament comes in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 8, during the reign of King Josiah. This is 2 Kings 22, verse 8. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. What? God's holy people dwelling in God's holy land had lost God's holy word in God's holy temple? The, the fact is, they had not lost God's word like you would misplace or lose your car keys. They had taken God's holy word and they had set it aside. And what's happening here in 2 Kings 22 verse 8 is that their descendants are finding this book and they don't even know what it says. And they're certainly not living it out. And so this book, after it's found in the the temple, is taken to the king, King Josiah, and it's read before him. And this is what we read in that chapter. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. I mean, this is a time of, of grief and repentance. And then he commanded the spiritual leaders, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according that all all to do according to all that is written concerning us. With without God's holy word, God's people had not been living holy lives. We see this the pursuit of holiness threatened in the Old Testament. We see it as well threatened in the New Testament. When God addressed the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, he brought up the fact that many of them were tolerating unbiblical, unholy things in their individual lives as well as within the life of their church, their churches. He told one church, you have abandoned the love you had at the first. He told another, you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold. You will not drift into holiness. And we see this pursuit threatened in our own lives as well. You know, your employer probably gets your time. When your employer wants you there, you're there. Your spouse gets your time. Your kids get your time. Your hobbies get your time. Does God? Do you routinely go to the gym for spiritual exercise? Do you routinely discipline yourself for for Bible intake? I need this book. And to talk to the Lord and pray and other spiritual disciplines that we find in God's word. Or is your Bible something that needs found again like it did in Josiah's day? You cannot pursue holiness apart from God's holy word. The Holy Spirit uses God's holy word in our lives to make us holy. And if we are neglecting the word of God, we should not expect to to wake up and be holier the next day. We see this pursuit neglected to our own peril. 
there is great danger in not pursuing holiness. And based on the verse that we looked at in 1 Timothy, one of the things would be that you miss out on godliness and all the joys and benefits that come with it. Without God's word, what happens? Well, you make foolish decisions. You make ungodly decisions. You, you say and do foolish things. You will sin and spiritually starve. And perhaps greatest of all, you might not see the Lord actually in heaven someday. Remember Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14? Strive for holiness. But I don't know if you caught the phrase that comes after that. Strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's not saying that if you work hard enough to be holy, then God's going to accept you someday in heaven. Rather, I think kind of the the thrust of of what's being said there is that striving for holiness is what Christians do. Because the Holy Spirit dwelling within them moves them that direction. And when a person is not moving towards holiness, I think that the thought would go like this, then maybe they don't actually have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. If you are not pursuing holiness, there is no evidence that you will see the Lord. You cannot make yourself holy. Do you realize that? You you cannot produce the motivation to pursue this. This has to be God working through you. God wants you to pursue a life of holiness. It is a threatened pursuit. And number three, our third simple reality, it is a very practical pursuit. When it comes to making a practice of exercising the spiritual disciplines like Bible intake and prayer, Uh, You're never too young or too old to get started. You might find it helpful to come up with a realistic plan for three things. These three things really help me, and I try to encourage people with them often. You go, man, you're right. I I do need to pursue holiness because that's what God tells me to do, and I want to do that. Uh, The desire's there, but I really struggle just in everyday practice. I would encourage you with this. First of all, to think about three things, time, place, and plan. You think about the first thing, you want to determine a time. I, I'm not going to drift into holiness. You know, if I want to run, like, I probably need to come up with a plan. When am I going to run? What days am I going to run? How far am I going to run? That sort of thing. And when it comes to time with the Lord and exercising spiritual disciplines, if you can think, okay, when am I going to do this? What time of day am I going to do this? Is it going to be the morning, the evening? my lunch break at work, um, whatever's going to work really well for you, but you're asking, how can I give God some quality time of my day? Determine your time and second your place. Where am I going to do this at? I don't know about you, but there are like a million and one distractions in my life and in my home. I mean, I have a cell phone, like I think most of you do, that dings and buzzes and, you know, technology and our house is kind of noisy and crazy sometimes. Uh, What's, what's going to be a good place for me where I'm most likely to succeed in sitting down and, and focus, having focused time with the Lord? Time, place, and plan. What am I going to do here? Open up my Bible at random and read a verse? I mean, what if you did something like this? What if you decided, okay, I'm just going to start in the New Testament in the book of Matthew, and I'm going to read one chapter a day, um, just one maybe, maybe half a chapter but just one chapter a day and I'm going to start reading through Matthew, then Mark, then Luke and John. And my goal is going to see if I can read through the New Testament. 
Maybe your goal is less than a chapter. Maybe it's more. But it would be really helpful if you had some kind of plan. Uh, So time, place, and plan. There's a saying that those who fail to plan, plan to fail. And I don't think any of us want that to be true of the story of our Christian life. We just never had a plan for decades on end, and we grew very little. By the way, our elders are extremely happy to chat with you if, if that would be helpful. You go, man, I, I want to I grow in this area, and I'm just finding it really hard, and it would just be helpful for me to talk about that and try to think through some things. We are for you, and we want you to win and thrive in that space. And I know for myself, even as a pastor, like these things, even after you've cultivated habits, it's still just, they're always challenges. And sometimes you feel better about, about it than others and that sort of thing. We want to help you. God wants you to pursue a life of holiness. It's a practical pursuit. Fourth, it is a grace-required pursuit. The final sentence of paragraph two of our covenant, I think, beautifully captures the biblical idea that the Christian life and, and life in the body, yes, they do require effort. That is true. But they require grace. God's grace. The statement reads, so I rely on God for grace to pursue the following ideals as a member of Beaumont Baptist Church. There's a simple reality that you need to put effort in. Philippians 2 verse 12 exhorts you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God is calling uh, you to work out your salvation, your faith, your Christianity, your holiness into everyday life. And of course, that takes work. But this is not something that you can do in your own strength. You need God's help and grace. Uh, Commitment number two of our covenant captures the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as I said, is needed for holiness. God and his grace must make you holy. You cannot make yourself holy. You cannot uh, thrust yourself up to the next level of holiness. You, You cannot create within you the desire for holiness. God and his grace must do that. And we read these beautiful, wonderful words in James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace. God is the type of God that just backs up the truck and just starts unloading grace and then brings in another truck and dumps it and then another one and dumps it and then another one and dumps it. He gives more grace. He just keeps piling it up. God gives more grace, therefore it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In other words, God gives his help, he gives his his divine enablement. You need him. I need him. This is a non-starter apart from God's grace. And so ask for his help. One person captured I think the juxtaposition nicely, the desire and power for them, the spiritual disciplines, are produced by the grace of God. But Christians themselves must practice the disciplines. God wants you to pursue a life of holiness. It is a grace-required pursuit. And finally, number five, it is a gospel-driven pursuit. I want you to turn with me just a few pages further along in your Bible to the book of Titus chapter 2. What would cause you to pursue a life of holiness? A life that is striving to, to live set apart from sin and devoted to Christ. Or 
or any of the other commitments that are mentioned in our covenant, what would actually drive and motivate a person to do that? And the answer is the gospel. The third sentence of our covenant speaks of us voluntarily, solemnly, and joyfully covenanting together to live out the following 15 commitments with each other. But that statement actually follows and flows from statements about the significance of the gospel in our lives. That's the very first sentence of our covenant and the centrality of the local church and God's plan. Sentence number one and sentence number two, the significance of the gospel and centrality of the local church. Our covenant rightly starts with the gospel because the gospel is the foundation of the entire Christian life and the entire life of the church. You cannot divorce the gospel from the pursuit of holiness and the exercise of spiritual disciplines. And one of the clearest places that we see that is in Titus chapter 2, where I've asked you to turn. Uh, I want to read verses 11 to 14 and just ask you to try to engage mentally as I read these verses and follow what they are saying. Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. How did the grace of God appear? God's grace has come to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And what is that grace, the grace of the gospel? What does it do? Well, verse 12, it trains us to renounce ungodliness. And it trains us to renounce worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, right here and now. Verse 13, as we wait, basically, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing and the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I mean, that is a text that takes the gospel and the grace of God and, and then connects it to our everyday lives. It is the gospel that, that, that trains us, that motivates us this way. The gospel must drive your pursuit of godliness. Nothing else, by the way, will sufficiently fuel that pursuit. Uh, Christ's death, his resurrection, and his return, these are the fuel for the Christian life, for the sanctification bus. And if you get the fuel wrong, it will not run. It just won't. It's impossible. I had my chainsaw out this last week, uh, which runs on a mixture of gasoline uh, and oil. And if I just put regular gasoline in the tank of that chainsaw, it is not going to run very well, if at all. If it runs a little while, it's probably going to die soon. It needs a certain fuel. And the Christian life is like that. You can't just say, hey, I'm going to be more godly and more holy today. It needs a certain fuel. And without that fuel, it will not run. And it runs on the purest fuel of all. The gospel itself. I think many people think, well, I need the gospel so that I can get saved, as we often word it, so that I can, to, to use the big theological word, so that I can be justified, so that God will declare me righteous. And that's true. That happens by the gospel. But we need the gospel for our 
the big theological word is sanctification, our growth in godliness. The gospel is just not, not just for the front end of the Christian life, it's for the entire Christian life. And that's exactly what Titus chapter 2 is showing us. It is the grace of God and the gospel that trains and motivates us forward. To borrow the three words from the third sentence of our covenant, we pursue holiness together voluntarily, solemnly, and joyfully as a result of the gospel. It's pursued voluntarily as a result of the gospel. The gospel compels us to live a life of holiness. Look at what Jesus did for me, and he's coming again. It's pursued solemnly or seriously, we might say, as a result of the gospel. This is important. The Christian life is not a joke. Uh, We must do this. And it's pursued joyfully as a result of the gospel. We get to do this. This is amazing. You know, there was a day that even if we wanted to, we couldn't do this. We get to pursue a life of holiness because God has made that possible in our lives. He's taken the chains and the shackles that, that, that enslaved us to our sin and he has burst those and he has set us free so that we could walk away from our sin by the grace of God. And we get to do that together. This is a joy and a privilege. And so I like those three words, voluntarily, solemnly, and joyfully. I want you to imagine a church culture right here at Beaumont Baptist Church that's characterized by people who voluntarily, solemnly or seriously, and joyfully live out the gospel together. May the gospel produce that kind of culture at Beaumont Baptist Church for the glory of God. God wants you to pursue a life of holiness, and it is a gospel-driven pursuit. Each week as we work through these various parts of our covenant Our elders want to encourage you to make three specific applications based on whatever commitments we look at. And the first one, number one, is to live it. God wants you to live in pursuit of holiness. God wants you to live in the pages of his word and in prayer, exercising yourself for the purpose of godliness. This is the gospel life that God has called you to. And by the way, if if you're, you cannot live this apart from Christ. You need, you need God to make you new. You need him to forgive you and cleanse you before this can ever even happen. And if you're not a Christian and you want to be, God wants you trusting in the work of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on the cross for you to say, God, I am a sinner. Please cleanse me. Please forgive me. Please save me. I believe. First application is to live it. And number two, we actually want to encourage you to pray it. Our elders want to encourage you to make our church covenant part of your prayer list. That's one of the reasons why we put a physical copy of it in your hand. Pray these things for yourself and pray them for your church family. Pray that God would help you to pursue a life of godliness and that God would help your brothers and sisters right here at Beaumont Baptist Church to do that exact same thing. I don't know what prayer list you have for the people here at our church, but I guarantee you whatever list you have, unless it's the Bible itself and specific things from the Bible, I think our covenant's better than whatever you've got, even though what you have might be really, really good. Pray these things for our people. This makes an excellent prayer list. And number three, make it contagious. Whatever the biblical pursuit or commitment is, make it contagious. God wants you to pursue a life of holiness through Bible reading, prayer, and other biblical disciplines. But he doesn't want that to stop with you. You want to cultivate that pursuit in your life, but you know what God wants you to do? He wants you to help other people do that exact same thing. 
how can you make it contagious? Being, being, part, being a Christian and being a member of a local church, part of that is seeing beyond yourself. Christianity, the Christian life, is not just about you and your isolated little bubble growing. This happens together. We are disciple makers. Uh, we have the Great Commission, which involves other people. How can you make it contagious? How can you, you, you help shape even our culture here to reflect what God calls us to? I think some of that's just maybe even saying like, hey, let's do this together. Or how's it going with you and making these regular parts of our conversation? And there is no shame in saying, man, I'm not, I'm not really strong in this area that I want to be. In fact, like I'm not doing well at all here. But I want to take the next step. And can we do that together? And let's talk about it. And let's encourage one another. Help make it contagious. God wants you to pursue a life of holiness. And by God's grace, may we do that together. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes if you would.